Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the What's in My Head podcast, I've got Mr. Billy West, royalty in the voice acting community. Billy, how are you, sir? Oh, I wouldn't say that, but I'm glad you did. Uh, (laughs) I mean, anybody (laughs) that doesn't say that, I mean, like when I set out to do this podcast, there was two people at the top of my, I don't have it here right now. I got it the other one, but my little Snoop Dogg notepad that my wife's boss sent me. Um, yeah. Write all my little notes down in so I didn't forget because I go off on these tangents and I, I end up forgetting. Um, sure. Your name and Rob Paulson was on my list. And oh, wow. Eight weeks, I can say uh, that I've been doing this, give or take. And we, uh, I've scratched both of you guys off my list now. Um, so it's fantastic, man. Dr. Uh, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I did that one by the phone. Um, and I'm so glad I did, uh, because I teared up numerous times and I didn't want that to, you know, come back and bite me in the ass or, you know, come back and use that as a meme, me crying like a little kid. Um, yeah, sure. But it, it was a fantastic and a surreal experience. Um, like I told you before, I'd never thought I'd be talking to you or him or anybody that I've talked to. Um, and it's just fantastic. Um, so yeah, He's so great. He's so great. I, I get to see him here and there and, and work with him. Yeah. I think he's doing something um, next week, working with Robbie on something. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Fantastic book as well. Um, but just to, just to kind of kick it off and, you know, break the ice a little bit. I mean, I'll ask you some of the same questions that most people ask you, like, you know, how'd you get started? I try to steer away from that, but uh, it always tends to come back around. Um, but I figure we start off a little different. Um, okay. I usually end them and the, I end the podcast with questions. Um, I always put okay. up there, this is who I'm talking to. What would you like to ask? And one of my best friends, uh, he's a huge Futurama fan and a huge fan of Ren and Stimpy and you as well. His name is mm-hmm. Shane. Um, and he was, he, he wanted to know what was the most emotional episode of Futurama that you had to record? Um, let's see. Uh, there were a couple, mm-hmm. there were a couple of moments where, um, I don't know. Um, Jurassic Bark. Yeah. I knew it was written sad. I remember recording it and I knew it was going to be sad, but I didn't know how sad until mm-hmm. I saw it on television. Yeah. And uh, I get all wistful and, you know, and I just kept thinking about how great animals are and how, how they, you know, they make us better than we are and all yeah. those other cliches went through my head, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you're reading for something like Fry or any of the characters you do, um, a lot of you guys will say that you'll get a picture of what the character looks like, or at least a description if there's no picture. Yes. Um, when you started reading for Fry, did you, did you know that you were getting Fry or did you try out a whole bunch of other characters? You've done Zoidberg and, and then Zach Brennigan and um, the professor, but did you know hundred percent you were going to be Fry? Um, I remember I auditioned for Fry mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't heard anything from them. I did the professor 
tried that out for them and um, in Zoidberg. And, you know, they, they liked that stuff. I, they had me come back a couple times, I think, mm-hmm. read. Uh, I even read for Bender. And really? uh, yeah, and but John DiMaggio, you know, he had the ultimate perfect take on it. Yeah. And you can't beat it. It's unbeatable. What? And uh, but but Fry, originally, I did not get that voice. And then um, they were starting to get things going. And then they decided to call me and have me come in and do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what does a Billy West Bender sound like? Did it sound anything close to what Joe was doing? Or do you remember? No, it just sounded like a big, like a big truck driver. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a fantastic little run though. I mean, um, when, you, when you and Joe were working on it, like what was, did you guys all shoot in the same room or was it you guys filmed separate or recorded separate Me lines? And Johnny? Yeah. Well, just the cast in general. Um, usually we were in the same room. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, it was mostly ensemble. Yeah. Cause there's a really cool energy that happens with, with ensemble players, you know, you're, you're in there and you're riffing off each other. And, you know, when, um, when nobody's reading and we're, we're just taking a breather or whatever, the funniest stuff happens, Yeah, you know, and I used to live to make John crack up laughing so much <laughs> that we'd be back on the microphones doing our job and he would just burst out laughing. And it happened so many times they had to send him to the corner to this couch <laughs> and, uh, and, and take a couch pillow and yeah. put it all. <laughs> and that's that's yeah. a, that's it's something to you know. Funny take that way, that energy, you know. Yeah. Well, that, that's something that uh, you can you know put a little feather in your cap that you know you had to you had to give him the little laughing pillow and send him off in the corner and you know tell him it, to calm down. So that must feel good. It's true though. It's absolutely true. Yeah. And the, you know. They didn't want to throw him out of the room like a dog or something. You know what I mean? But they said, yeah. John, if you're going to laugh, I mean, at least build an igloo in the corner or something. <laughs> uh, when, when you think about Futurama, so I can tell you exactly where I was at uh, when I saw that first episode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was my my uh, my dad had just gotten out of prison. Um, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I went up there with my grandma, Faye and grandpa, Jim. Um, to mm-hmm. see him and spend the summer and I remember it coming on the tv and I was just left to my own devices at the point everybody went to sleep you know I'm just hanging around I'm just flipping through looking for cartoons mm-hmm. um, and I see this one kicking off and I'm like oh wow this is a new premiere episode and everything I was like so let's check this out and mm-hmm. I remember even at a young age uh, feeling very not depressed depressed not the great word or right word it's like sad that Fry left everything you know to get frozen yeah. in the future um when you do fry because fry sounds or you sound exactly like fry fry sounds exactly like you um well so- i mean i try to make them sound like a 25 year old version of me yeah well, sounds pretty good though yeah, that was all whiny and nasally and complaining <laughs> now what is what was your what was your thinking behind Fryer? Like, uh, did they give you any notes? They say this is what we wanted to sound like. Yeah, they well, they gave me some notes. They didn't tell me exactly what they wanted them to sound like. It I just offered up the fact that um, a really hard voice for people to do is somebody's real voice. Yeah, you know what I mean. If it's not a put on, and and my voice naturally is sort of plain vanilla. Um, 
you know, and um, and when I was 25, I remember being in bands and complaining, you know, on stage. Oh, man, I broke a string. Now what am I supposed to do? You know, and uh, oh, man, the amp blew up. We don't even have any roadies or shit, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was I was, you know, like that whining. And uh, I'm not I don't know if I'm still like that. I hope not. But um but that would have been my choice. And I offered it up and they said, that sounds great. And he said, it sounds like him. And then they said, you know, just go by the guidelines, which was that he was a 25 year old uh, pizza delivery boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so I knew he had a work ethic of some type, you know, he was, he was up for doing things. He, he must've been, you know, to deliver yeah pizzas to a cryogenics factory and stuff like that um you know so uh i was kind of um an optimistic person like in the face of things that could have been horrific because you don't know any better yeah in other words you just sort of like candide you know in literature you're just sort of like wow you know it was like the beatles in hard day's night and they're like oh look mm. <laughs> windows oh a door you know they they were amazed at everything it was so funny a piano (laughs) now i asked uh i asked rob when i talked to him uh the same question i'm gonna ask you what is thanksgiving like with billy west um it's probably a drag for everybody (laughs) else because i eat um, uh, um vegan turkey oh really yeah, it's a, uh, it's like they used to call it the Zen turkey and then it was tofurkey and, um, you know, and, it, and it's the, this loaf uh, that's made out of textured protein, you know, sort of like the, the new hamburgers, the plant burgers that taste exactly yeah. like a hamburger. Yeah. Um, you know, so they were, but I became a vegan like almost 20 something years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was... Um, Let's see. Yeah, I mean, everybody else is eating gravy, and this tofurkey had its own special gravy, and everything special for me. (laughs) And I felt like a dork, but um, I don't know. I'm pretty well behaved around the house, you know. I mean, if uh, like I always, I always wanted like my voice is pretty annoying, um, so I try not to talk too much, but. Uh, like when I got a 10 year old. So when he was growing up, I'd read him stories and I'd try to do voices and I would try to emulate, emulate you guys um, and other people I looked up to. And then mm-hmm. my kid at a very young age, they're super honest with you. Um, it's like, dad, you're not very good at this. Uh, can oh, we just, wow. Yeah. Kids we just, are brutal. Yeah, just, can we stick to normal voices and get through this? And I'm like, uh, I mean, I was trying, but yeah, I guess so. Um, what was it like? Did you, did you have uh did you have that kind of same, same story or did you do voices for your kids when you would read them, read them stories? Um, well, I, I never had kids. Um, no? I was married, but I was doing catch up and I, and I had, I devoted myself totally to a career. Yeah. And, uh, and I got so busy that my head was spinning. Um, but I mean, I like to fool around with kids like reading and stuff to them whenever I've had the chance. And, uh, and if one of them just like loses it, attention i'll go okay 
Once upon a time, there was this spoiled little brat, and he wouldn't pay any attention to anybody. You know, and then the kid will go like, oh, busted. <laughs> What's your favorite voice to order through and drive through? Do you? Oh, I don't know. I like to go. That's fantastic. I've, I've tried them, but you know, like I said, I'm not very good at it, but I, it's just something I don't try that often. Um, but uh, what was the, what was the uh, thought when you went and went 20 years ago, went vegan? I'm a big food guy. So I always like talking food with people. Um, I just, I was getting sick. I lived in New York. This is about 25 years ago. Okay. I lived in New York City. I was working on the Howard Stern show, mm-hmm. uh, radio show in New York. And um, I remember going to some restaurants in the city. And you would think of all places, New York City would have like the absolute best. And they did at one time. And then I guess the health inspectors were getting paid off. And restaurants that had A ratings in their window, um, you go in and, and I... I must have picked up food poisoning somewhere because I couldn't stop throwing up. I mean, I'd leave the rest and I'd be in the street retching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it just was continuous. And I said, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. And, uh, but I did have some sort of stomach, you know, I don't know, like one of those food poisoning yeah. germs, you know, whatever it is that kind of stays with you and you have to find a way yeah. to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, okay, no more foodborne illness for me. Yeah. And I figured the safest way to go was be a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Cause there were a lot of foods that have that proclivity for built in, um, foodborne illness. Yeah. Like meats and dairies. And what was the hardest thing for you to like not eat again? Um, I don't know. I used to love, um, I used to love lobster and shrimp. Yeah. And I loved like roast beef, you know, you name it. I ate everything when I was yeah. a kid. And um, I just, um, I think fried chicken was always a weakness, you know, oh, man. because it was, it was cheap and you could get a bag of rolls. And when I was living, when I didn't have any money, I lived uh, in an apartment and I mm-hmm. remember going and getting like an extra bag of rolls and two pieces of chicken and, you know, and I was drinking then, so I'd wash it down with a, a half a quart of brandy. You know, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, oh, I was bad. I was yeah. I was really bad, and I straightened out. Well, I'm glad you did, man, because we need we need Billy West. Uh, oh, you know, it's okay. it's it's funny. Uh, you brought up fried chicken, and if it is my favorite food to cook and my favorite food to eat in the world, um, if I could eat it every day and not be 400 pounds, I absolutely would. Um, but when you, you brought up a story when you were, you know, young and before you had, you know, money, uh, mm-hmm. same concept, man. Uh, I had joined the Navy back in 2009. I had a wife that was pregnant. Um, uh, yeah. And we had very little money, uh, between her student loans and everything like that. And then, um, being away from family for the first time I'm 19, she was 24. Wow. Uh, yeah. Or 20, 23 turning 24. Um, we had to make a budget last, right? So I would get one chicken cut it in half and then we would get three meals between out of it you know for us um so it's it's nice seeing those parallels i mean you went 
the great route, you know, the cartoons, the voices, the memories. I went that route was like, ah, man, it sucked. But, uh, you know, yeah. on the table. Um, but it was always it's nice seeing parallels in what people do. It's chicken, chicken, chicken's cheap. We can eat chicken. Um, let's continue to eat chicken. Um, do you miss anything now or is that just completely out of your system as far as meat or dairy goes? It's all out of my system. Um, I'm just so used to eating um, substitutes. Plus, there's in, in vegan cooking, there's an entire world of things that most people haven't experienced and the things that you can do cooking with vegetables and beans and spices. And, uh, you know, I can eat Italian food. I can go to a Chinese restaurant and just eat like, you know, tofu and vegetables and egg roll. You know, so it's just it's just basically um, any kind of meat. Mm-hmm. I don't eat fish, and I don't eat chicken. How do you feel? People go, "What do you eat?" And I'm like, <laughs> I got a box of bird seed in my pocket. <laughs> I used to work for this guy that was a vegan. Uh, my last command I was at before I got out, and mm-hmm. uh, we went we went to a soul food place, and this is in Virginia. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Uh, they're like, why'd you take me here? We're like, we're going to see if you were actually a vegan. We want to catch you eating ribs or we want to catch you eating chicken or pulled pork or something like that. So he was like, well, what am I supposed to eat? They don't really have it. Well, hold on. Wait right here. So I went outside. I broke a tree branch off of an oak tree. I brought it back in. And I put it on the table. I'm like, this is what you're going to eat. And he's like, you know, if this was any other job, I could fire you right now. <laughs> but I can't fire you. Sit down. Leave me the fuck alone. So I was like, all right, cool. My bad. <laughs> Um, you know, so it's a, it's a sense of top, top, uh, subject with most people, but, uh, like I always like talking food. Um, but yeah. you know, I talked to one of your old, uh, one of your old, uh, what do you want to call it? Friends, voice actors as well. The other day, a uh, Connie Schulman, uh, oh, it's herself. Um, I, I loved her. I, I absolutely loved working with her. She's had nothing but great things to say about you and Mr. Freeman for you and Skeeter essentially. Um, and Doug was one of those shows that it still hits right here. Um, was that your first, I want to say your first big pop because Rena Stimpy was before Doug, I believe I'm almost hundred percent sure. Um, right around the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, was that the first, uh, were you starting to get recognized real quick and out and about when you were doing Ren and Stimpy or did that really blow up at Doug or was it before that? Um, let's see. All I can tell you is that, you know, I'm a journeyman and it meant work. (laughs) <laughs> no matter what it was, yeah, you can't know if in your you, you can't know when you're in the middle of something if it's going to be a cultural phenomenon or not. You have no idea. It's it's an assignment, you know. Yeah. And um, I was doing commercials in New York and everything, but but these cartoons, these Nicktoons, seem special. Mm-hmm. Something about them, you know. They wanted to do uh, shows like nobody else was doing. You know, whatever was on Saturday morning was no good to them. Mm-hmm. They wanted to reinvent the wheel by putting all animation on Sunday mornings. Yeah. And the cartoons would have their own specific identities. There wouldn't be a style that you could say, oh, that's Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and it drove people crazy. Disney, you know, we're the children's network. Well, why are these people getting all of ratings and attention? You know, we're the ones that are for the kids. So they spectrum analyze Nickelodeon's success, you know, and I think they they um, wanted to buy every show that yeah. Nick had that wanted to do. They try to replicate that success. I guess, you know, just 
things go up and down and what's popular and what isn't and what catches on and what doesn't catch on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real formula. And, and um, you know, uh, the executives and stuff, they, they want to believe so desperately that there's a formula. Yeah. And there isn't. There just isn't. I, I know from being there. Mm-hmm. The stuff that's like pre-guaranteed to be a hit falls flat on its face. Yeah. You know, because the heart wasn't there or the mm-hmm. soul or the mindsets or um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you something? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was going to say something can just sneak up out of nowhere and, and knock everybody dead. And it becomes like a cult sort of a excitement about it. And then it goes mainstream. You know, that's the way things happen. Now, another cult phenomenon, if you will, was Invader Zim. Um, oh, yeah. I had this box set with me no matter where I was at in the world. Um, this one is probably the one that I attached to the most uh, when I was growing up, as far as your work goes, uh, until I got a little bit older and I started realizing, like, that guy sounds like this guy. And then I come to find out when the Internet was formed um, and I just hit Google, who are all these people? I'm like, holy shit, it's you. Um, <laughs> but Zim uh how did was that just another phone call uh you know hey man come out for this show or did you seek this one out or how'd that go um i was i was just hired to do the pilot episode Mm -hmm. do the voice on the pilot episode and that was it yeah um that's all i did Mm -hmm. with that show i mean sometimes it's a way to help get something off the ground and then they take a, a reappraisal of what's going on and you know and then they recast and um my friend Richard Richard Horvitz um, got the role of Zim, and I mean he's a killer in my book, man. He's a pro, you know. Uh, I have nothing but the absolute utmost respect for him, and uh, I love his energy. So I mean, I'm I'm always happy. There's nothing I wish I could have got, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to get something and then turn it into something else. It's like it's alchemy. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that's the thing with celebrity voiceovers is, you know, years ago, the producers would have us come in and uh, they'd be sitting at a table and you'd come in and there'd be a bar of lead on the table and they would go, listen, we want you to turn that hunk of lead into gold for us before you leave. And Jesus, you could do it. You know, I mean, it, it was like it didn't look like lead to me. It looked like I it was anything I imagined it to be. Mm-hmm. And that's where we came from as voiceover artists. It's about alchemy. Something's got to change. I can't use this voice for every single thing I did yeah. because I'm not a celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I don't have the luxury of being and sounding exactly like who and what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's a sticking point with me. I mean, the voices, if they weren't famous, a lot of those voices would be just nothing but anemic. Yeah. You know, they, they just, it's like sending a bunch of highly skilled plumbers to win the world series for you. (laughs) Yeah. They're great. They're the best at what they do, but they don't belong at Fenway park. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I've said this numerous times, I'm pretty sure people are going to hate me for saying it again, but you guys take something that is, you know, flat, it's two dimensional and you guys make it three dimensional. Um, And that's a testament to you guys' hard work and what you guys do. When you see a new character, what are some of those thoughts that go through your head um, when you're trying to find a voice, you're trying to feel, feel for this character? Um, 
it, it's it's a weird process. I mean, I'm sure that it's not uncommon amongst other artists. And I, mm-hmm. I'm always blown away at what my friends come up with. I'm, I'm in admiration of it. It's like going to school when I go to a, a recording session, you know, because you watch everybody's got their one two punch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the difference um, between like being a celebrity who's coming in there to, as a stunt cast mm-hmm. um, and people who are artisans, craftspeople who yeah. work on things with their heart and soul. They cannot be themselves. They can't have any link to themselves. They have to be disembodied. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, to act on one thing or two things is one thing, but acting on 20 things yeah. and making it real acting um, and not being who and what you are, that's the reward for somebody like me. I mean, I, I think long and hard before I open my mouth to do a character. And I know a lot about, you know, the human condition and I know a lot about life and you know as an actor would but this is a whole different thing you've got to create heavens and hells and you know universes and everything with like that much of a flesh <laughs> reed in your throat yeah you can't like you know make faces and Matthew McConaughey <laughs> you know I'm a big Matthew McConaughey fan. I'm pretty sure he's a great guy. I, I, I said, I'm a big Matthew McConaughey fan. I'm pretty sure he's a great guy, but I, I completely agree. There's some guys out there that can come on and they have a distinct voice. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not, they're not doing it because they love it. Some people might, cause that's, I don't want to overgeneralize. Um, no, it's, but, it's not put on. Yeah. It, you could, you could tell when something's done well and the people care or the people give a shit you can really tell and you can really tell when somebody's just doing it for a paycheck or just doing it because like you said earlier, they're trying to get this show off the ground. Um, and I'm so, like I said, I'm so glad there's people like you, there's these craftsmen and craft women um, that really care about what they're doing and really throw in their heart and soul into every character. You know, it's, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was never into celebrity worship. I mean, I had my idols when I was a kid, but they were mostly voice actors. And outside of that, I was in awe of mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I learned to act because, I don't know, when I first saw the Three Stooges, you know, I stopped going to church. I found my saints. Yeah. You know, they used to show the Three Stooges before I went to school, grade school, every morning. And I just didn't want anything to do with school. I just... Here I was, I was sitting there and without realizing I was learning how to act. I was learning comedic timing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was learning antics and why something's funny and why something is not funny. There's a difference between wacky and funny, you know, and some people don't know that difference. Um, And so I felt like, um, you know, I just, I hated school. I just hated it. I had, I was uh, on the spectrum, autism spectrum. Yeah. And so nothing made sense to me. Nothing at all. I had to struggle through everything mm-hmm. um, to, um, I don't know, to get my head around stuff. And I had to, I had to process everything upside down backwards. Yeah. And, and that was extremely difficult. But, but underneath all that shit, there are gifts mm-hmm. that are you're, you're given. There's like storage rooms in your head that are unlocked and you have access to rooms that most people don't 
Yeah. And that's where you find the gifts in there. Um, you know, I just had a, I just had a freakish voice that, you know, it's plain vanilla, but I mean, I could go anywhere and do anything with it. And, um, I didn't know what good it would do anybody. You know, I just thought it was something everybody else could do. When did you realize uh, that? Uh, um, I realized that like after I got out of high school mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, uh, I tell people like, you know, you're going to run into a hard time if you have any real talent because people will let you know quick that you're a threat yeah. by freezing you out or, or whatever, pulling little mental games on you. Um, cause I used to be with these guys, you know, and I, and I would work on something, you know, just like something, uh, to go and say, Hey, listen, I figured this thing out, you know, and I'm going to do it. And they would sit there and just look at me. And, and I used to go home thinking how friggin' good do you have to be? Yeah. Oh, so that drove me to become like a superlative mm -hmm. because these people were just unimpressed. And, uh, and then later on, I mean, see, there's no future you that can visit that self that you were and say do you know why they sit there and act bored because um you are a constant and painful reminder of what they will never ever ever be able to do in their life yeah. no matter how hard they try and and that's why the yeah so you know do you think that's why you're as prolific as you are now is because you always had to, I always had to be better or I always had to, I had to get better or. I had to be better in any other way besides like sports. And mm -hmm. I, I had no um, coordination. I could sing and I could play guitar mm -hmm. and anything vocal, but there was no, no business, no place to apply it. You know what I mean? I was in yeah. band stuff as I was coming up, but. Um, you know, I, I hadn't been convinced that I should do voiceover. And then one day, um, I found my way to a radio station in Boston, an FM station. I won a contest that they were having. And it was, uh, if you can sound like Mel Blanc, you know, call in. Yeah. I, I call in and did my bit. And, um, next thing you know, I was being asked to come into the radio station and, uh, and participate and I wound up writing bits you know the blank piece of paper at 7 30 in the morning and then by eight you've got to have something recorded and and created characters and wrote your own material um that was um a very special environment because you really were always being put upon yeah. like you know uh to create mm -hmm. And I, I enjoyed it so much because it was discipline. I didn't have a lot of discipline. Yeah. Uh, and I had to develop that and, and professionalism, you know. Um, Are you from Massachusetts? Um, no, not originally. I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Okay. But I grew up in Boston. Yeah. My, uh, my wife's family. I just went and visited Boston before everything shut down for the first time. Um, and my wife and them are from Middleborough, Massachusetts. Um, but I was just, I was trying to pick out the accent. So I didn't know if it, like most guys that I know, they try to drop that accent because they say they hear them with that accent. They're like, ugh, which yeah. it can be a little. Yeah, little right. <laughs> yeah, right. Tell me about it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Seriously. What was, uh, you... this year, dude. <laughs> which, uh, 
What do you remember what voice you used when they uh, when you heard that that um, that commercial for if you sound like Mel Blanc call in? Oh, I was just uh, doing all kinds of Mel Blanc voices. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just they let me have it. I was just like, and there's a final word. <laughs> Goodbye. You know, and it's, that's all for, for, uh, folks. Was he one of your <laughs> Was he one of the guys you looked up to? Uh, was yes. would he be on your Mount Rushmore? Yes, he absolutely is. Um, it's just Mel, you know. And then there's other Mount Rushmores, but the the Mount Rushmore of Mel is just Mel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there's everybody else. Um, you know, he was he was the uh, the the you know the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was nobody like him. Nobody in is nobody like him. I mean, you you can watch all of his other things. I mean, you know the cartoons pretty yeah. much in and out. But if you go back and look at his TV appearances, and he was doing these incredible things right before your very eyes, you know, it's like a lot of that is missing nowadays. People used to have real magic because mm-hmm. it was either that or be, you know, an unemployed bum. Yeah. You know, in a bar room somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was like England, you know, you you could be either a coal miner or you could be a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Take your pick. There was nothing in the middle. And um, I was kind of like, um, you know, he he could just embody anything like animals and give them personalities and inanimate objects even got voices after Mel Blanc got through with them. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, he uh, lit the way for everybody. I met him. Yeah. Met him a long, long time ago and he mm-hmm. was super nice. You know, he's a little old guy, you know, who, who in hell would break loose when he got on a microphone. Yeah. It must've been like, now we're used to seeing people on a microphone doing amazing things and yeah. whatnot. But, but back then I can't imagine what people did when they saw him performing. Um, you know, it must've been like a shock. What was, because what was that meeting was, like? He was one in a million. When you got to meet him, what was that meeting like? Did you, were you a kid again in front of him or? Um, no, I was um, I was working in Boston in radio, mm-hmm. and uh, I read that he was going to be doing a voice and slideshow at a local um, university. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, I got to go out there. I, you know, it was just barely in the paper. You, yeah. You'd blink and, and miss it. Mm-hmm. So my girlfriend and I went out there to see him, and I was in the audience, and he came out, and I was like, there he is. There is the guy, the dude. You know, it was like, to me, he had a light around him. And then uh, at the end of his show, he said, uh, so if uh, anybody wants to come up and uh, get some autographs, uh, you know, why don't you form a line over here? You know, that's what he talked like. And and I got up and I was so out of control that I was, I was rushing to get the <laughs> the stage or the seat where he was sitting and and I was body slamming little kids out of the way and checking them into the boards like a hockey player. And he went, could you let the little kids go first? You know, it was like being yelled at by Mr. Spacely. Jensen! 
You're fired. Thank you. I always like seeing uh, or hearing when you guys have these stories. Uh, thank you for sharing that, by the way. I really appreciate that. It's always nice knowing that while you guys are human, you know, you're, you're gods to us or you're, you're, you're heroes to us, whatever you want to put, whatever euphemism, whatever word you want to put in here, you know, we look up to you. So it's always seeing who you guys look up to. And then it's, it's cool seeing that you guys have the same feelings that we have. towards. We have the, we have the same feelings as anybody else who ever came along is if you make it in a certain field, there's this truth that, that keeps staring you in the face. Why was everything so much better before you, before you came along? Why were these guys so just unbelievably uh, talented and, and like touched by God? Um, and the movie Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson explains that whole thing so beautifully, Woody Allen's movie, mm -hmm. where he's in Paris with his in-laws and his wife and uh he goes for a walk he's a romantic you know and he's dreaming about the 18th century and early 20th century and he was thinking in terms of artists you know like uh, Hemingway and Louis Mal and William Faulkner and all this because he was a writer and and this scene happens where he's walking through town at midnight and it's foggy in this like yellow sort of um limousine type vehicle, old fashioned from the thirties would have the door open and he'd get in and all these people would be in there. Ernest Hemingway, um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of who else they use, Louis Mal, you know, filmmakers and everything. And the way you got to see the movie because it explains why we always feel like the best stuff was done before we were born. Yeah. Because that's exactly what Louis Mal thought. Um, you know, uh, after another filmmaker had made such a huge impact and Louis Mal himself, a genius, thought, you know, uh, I, I only aspire to be maybe, maybe partially great like that in my life. I think it's uh, the time that you live in and the time that you're born and what the emotional resonance in the world is at that time. Mm -hmm. So, um I, I didn't get into the business to sound like Mel Blanc. I mean, I, that was like not what I wanted to do. I could do those things, but it led me to, you know, create characters and just that's what he did. He created characters. And so, um, you know, I didn't want to be the next Mel Blanc. I just wanted to be the best me that I could be. How long did it take you to, to have that mindset? Because, you know, as a kid or as an adult, a young adult, you have this heroes you look up to. You know, for in the food industry, it was always Emerald Lagasse for me. I had to be as good or I had to be just like him. And then when you get into the kitchen, you start really working, right? You start making sauces and soups and you start learning knife cuts and knife skills um, and mm -hmm. proper kitchen etiquette. You realize you'll never be, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll never be an Emerald Lagasse. You'll never be a Mel Blanc. You can only be you um was well, you it, can't feel their soul what, what was it like what was it like for you though like did you ever see like oh man i'm kind of taking his cadence i gotta find my own thing or um no because when you're hired to do a replication you should be as faithful as you could be mm -hmm. and then maybe just maybe throw in little things of your own which is treading on blasphemy <laughs> territory <laughs> 
but um, no, I tried to do my absolute best when it came to replicating the characters. Um, you know, even Elmer Fudd, that wasn't Mel Blanc, but I got the job to do him in a lot of things, you know, and he was just, um, Arthur Q. Bryan was, was a curious character, you know, um, but he, but he was like uh, a vaudevillian and he would, and he would tell people these stories, you know, stories. And he would uh, say, like, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> Who's your favorite brain movie? Brain hunter, which there's nothing funnier than that in the entire world. Who is your favorite Looney Tune to do and then um, watch? My favorite one. Oh, gosh, I don't know. You know what? It came under the heading of Looney Tunes, but it wasn't um, a Mel Blanc um, episode. It was an early cartoon called I Love to Singa. Mm -hmm. And it was a musical. And it was about um, this owl couple. He was a music professor, Professor mm -hmm. Owl. And he taught music and, and his wife was dutifully, you know, getting ready to lay a few eggs and... Uh -huh. Then they hatch and one one um, little owl comes out and he's playing a flute and the other one is playing like a violin and the father's going, ah, a hyphen, you know, and uh, he's, he's so proud and happy. And then they tap on the last egg and it kind of has a hollow ring to it and it hatches and out comes this little, you know, jazzer, mm -hmm. you know, like totally non-classical music totally not conforming to anything it's just like i love the singer i like the moon and the tuna and the springer I remember. Uh, and um <laughs> that cartoon um touched me because he was different he was totally different from what his father wanted and um you know and he got basically booted out of his house so he after he leaves his house he's walking down the street and he starts singing again and it leads him to a talent show. And, and um, you know, he was going to get the, the floor mm -hmm. because his family showed up in the window of the radio station and, and uh, it freaked him out. So he started singing, drink to me only with thine eyes. You know, and then the, the, the judge, Jack Bunny was the judge. Um, he was about to give the guy the gong or mm -hmm. the floorboards or whatever. And the father comes in and saves him. It's like, um, you know, he said, go on, sing. He joins the song, go on, sing. Like the moon and the tuna and the springer. <laughs> and um, that cartoon touched me because it was kind of like the story of my own life. Yeah. So we're, uh, I love the similarities because it's, you know, you meet people that that uh, that think like you a lot or, you know, that you guys have a lot of the same similarities. It's always nice seeing that you can pull something and then you associate. And that's kind of how I guess we get through this world. We find something and nobody thinks like me or nobody feels like me. And then you just turn on a TV or you read a book or you listen to a song. and It's like, holy shit, there's a lot of people that think like me or feel like mm -hmm. me. Um, what 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 was that was that the initial thought as a young age like oh man i feel like this character or was that something you kind of got when you were older um i came from a very turbulent household mm -hmm. so um i i didn't want to call undue attention to myself but yeah. it was 
baked in the cake. I couldn't help it. I was on the autism spectrum. I had OCD, ADD, you know, uh, every initial thing with initials in it I had mm-hmm. and just didn't know it, you know, and I just thought, why is everything so hard? Why? Why I can't understand something and why am I getting beaten over the head, you know, with the implement that I can't figure out? You know, my dad was very violent and crazy. Um, So I kept all this stuff under wraps. But now that I look back and and now I see a world of people exploring their gifts because they love superheroes. Yeah. You know, the the superheroes are going to save us. But what they don't realize is that anybody who, who investigates or identifies with being a superhero, as long as you're not a megalomaniac and a narcissist and all that other crap, the purity of heart of wanting to save or uplift mm-hmm. or um, edify something noble that will do good for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I did, I couldn't be a doctor, you know, and saving people's lives is the most noble thing that you could do. But doing what I do, I think is maybe the next most noble thing that a person could do is make everyone else laugh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's been people, favorite actor of all time has always been Robin Williams. And for a guy, <laughs> you know, to go on to whatever is left or whatever is next after we're no longer here. Um, mm-hmm. and his, his, he had almost the same philosophy. He, he would see something or see somebody sad and then instantly, no matter what kind of shitty day he was having, uh-huh. um, was to make something brighter. And you might, you said you might not have been a doctor. You couldn't save some lives, but I'm almost hundred percent sure there's thousands of people out there that with your voice save, save some lives. I mean, you've gotten me through some dark times in my life. I know that for sure. And I can Thanks. only imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, I mean, if anybody should be saying thank you, it's you. I mean, you, you just, you guys sit here and it's, it's a job for you guys. It's a heart and soul as passion. Um, and then when we get what you guys give us and it, it just, it's amplified, you know, to a whole nother level. Um, and like I said, I'm pretty sure, you know, you're not being a doctor, but I'm pretty sure you've saved just as many lives, <laughs> if not more than any doctor out there. Wow. Thank you for those kind words. That's really um, nice of you. There's no problem. I know we're getting to the end of our time, um, you know, so I'm going to go back to how we kind of started it. Right. So I got a few mm-hmm. questions here and then we'll pretty much call it. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the ones that uh, was really, I guess you're probably going to get this asked all the time, um, but it's probably either top one, top two, but who's your top three favorite characters to really voice, to step in those shoes? That I voiced? Yeah. Um, let's see. I guess I have to go with the ones that are like permutations of myself. Okay. You know, not that I planned it that way. It's just, uh, I... No matter what voice you do, you got to be really careful that it doesn't sound like a put on that. Whatever my next voice, it's got to sound like it came from somebody else and not me. That's what makes it authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you're churning out stuff, you can't you can't live on cliches and you can't like use tried and true tricks. You've got to be a little adventurous and see if anybody responds to it. the characters, all the characters on Futurama, I absolutely loved. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, uh, greetings from the year 3000. It still sucks. <laughs> you know. Young lady, bring me a sandwich from the dumpster and leave the maggots on it. 
some scuttling. She's a beautiful ship, all right. I'm going to fly her brains out. Yeah. <laughs> and good news, everyone. Bad news. <laughs> those are those are my favorites of all I've done. You know, Ren and Stimpy, I enjoyed it very, very much. Um, I was screaming and yelling a lot. It was good. It was more cathartic than it was anything mm-hmm. because it get junk out of your system. And, you know, it was pure screaming and yelling full force. I used to come out of there with no voice and I had to go, what are you going to do? You know, <clears throat> so uh, I had to find a way to do all that stuff without blowing my voice out permanently. How calm were you after Ren and Stimpy? Though? I got to imagine you getting all that angst, all that frustration, or just all that yelling out. You got nothing left in the tank, I'm sure. Um, uh, I think you probably get flooded with a lot of your own body's chemicals. Like, yeah. it's so funny. Um, actors, you know, like the brain, one part of the brain doesn't know you're acting. Mm-hmm. Like if you're playing somebody that's in, in sheer terror and you're screaming and yelling, it's like your body is preparing for war. Yeah. Doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. It goes with your lead. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you'll get all these chemicals that a person in that exact perilous situation would get. A lot of it's, you know, uh, adrenaline and endorphins. And uh, I think uh, there's another... Uh, another thing that goes through you, there's a uh, um, dopamine, you know. Yeah. yeah, you're triggering all this stuff. So acting is actually um, physiological. Yeah. As well as psychological. Well, I mean, it makes sense. You know, your body's not going to, you know, your body doesn't know the difference between a soda and an orange. Sugar is sugar, no matter how you look at it. It's just an orange has got a little bit more fiber and a little bit more of this. So it's not as bad, but it, at the end of the day, sugar is sugar. So mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. Um, and I, I liked hearing that, you know, the Futurama was, was an extension of, that's what it feels like whenever you just slip into those voices, it feels like it's just another arm or another finger, you know, it doesn't feel put on. And, and I guess that's true craftsman right there. Um, well, they're so easy to sound like put ons, Yeah, you know, and um, that's why a celebrity doing a voice uh if they try not to sound like them, it sounds like a put on. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're better off just sort of going with the persona of them, how they're perceived by others. I got you. Um, there was uh, this one question, but I'm, I'm only going to bring it up because it was one of my favorite things you were in. Um, we actually watched it again last night. Uh, Scooby-Doo on zombie Island. Um, oh Yeah. After after this, um, me and my wife are going to go try to find costume. We couldn't get anything on Amazon before Monday of next week, um, but I'm going to go as Shaggy, and then she's going to go as Velma. So oh, that's cool. what we're going to dress up. Um, and he wanted to know, which is a there's no dumb there's dumb questions out there. This is a dumb question, but is Shaggy a vegetarian? I'm assuming he knows that you are a vegetarian vegan. I'm assuming that's why he's asking. But no, exactly. Shaggy like junk food as i recall you know he'd share his junk food with the dog you know um and i guess i i think somebody told me they were they were at a session and Mm -hmm. and casey Kasem was there doing shaggy and he's like you know come on scoob we gotta get some hot dogs (laughs) you know and then casey Kasem he breaks character and he goes 
Why does it always have to be meat? <laughs> Why can't it be a veggie snack? Or, you know, he, he got upset because he was a vegan. Mm-hmm. What? And That's uh, two of you guys. I just like happened that. to be one. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Now, my buddy Hunter, he wants to know, how was working on a video game like iNinja different from a cartoon? Um, you got to stay all day long because you have to have responses and, and, um, and vocalizations for every situation that that character could be in, whether it's written or not, they want to have all these responses in case a certain thing happens. Mm-hmm. And in interactive, you never know what response they're going to need. So you've got to record whole gamuts of them. Um, like some angry, some sad, or some like yeah. Sound like you have trepidation. Sound like you're letting the guy win with a wink, you know, mm. stuff like that, and screaming, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, Moses wanted to know: Do you come up with some sort of interpersonal background for the characters uh, that you've represented, and who is the most complex character um, from your illustrious career, Moses <laughs> Martinez? Um, I. I go um, by what they give me mm-hmm. for starters, you know, I mean, there's a character Bible, they call it. Yeah. And in it is the history of the character, what, what they tend to have for traits and automatic responses. And um, are they a good person or are they a not so good person or can they be both, you know? Um, but they give you all these ideas, what they had about the character. Now this was a concerted effort. So, I mean, all of a sudden it's on you. They've entrusted you to interpret that character for them. Yeah. You're going to say what all those people worked on. And, and it's spooky because, you know, everybody's going like, we're all counting on you. <laughs> <laughs> don't fuck and this if, up. <laughs> if, if you're not what they counted on. You don't get the job. Yeah. I, I mean, it <laughs> makes sense. Um, just two more here, and then and then that's pretty much it, man. Which uh, which voices did he? Which voices did you struggle with the most? And which voices, uh, if you could change and go back and redo, would you? Oh boy, I I wouldn't. Um, I had to learn to compartmentalize because uh, if if I was watching with a very critical eye to anything that I did, it would drive me crazy. I'd want to redo everything. Yeah. You know, it's the artist's way. It's like nothing's perfect and you're looking for perfection and you got to settle for something and you got to give birth to it. Yeah. And so I leave it lay. I, if I think too much about stuff, I'll be like critical and I'll go, oh man, you could, you blew this perfect opportunity. Oh, you could have gone left when it was supposed to go right. And, you know, um, think yourself into a state of uh, craziness, but um you know, I, I can always say that I, I tried to do way more than anybody was asking of me. And uh, I think my job, in a way, one of the top um, things of importance to me was to surprise everybody yeah. and, and see the look of delight when they heard what, what rang the bell for them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a good moment to live for. Well. Like I said, man, you've crushed everything I've ever seen you in. Um, you, you didn't 
you didn't say you were royalty. You were very humble. But like I said, you and Rob are the top of the top. And that's no nothing disparaging against any other voice actor or voice actress out there. It's just you two are the guys that sit, you know, right here in my heart the most. Um, well, um, I, I'm honored to hear that, you know, because I, I think so highly of Rob. Um, I love working with the guy. He went through a lot yes. and he came out the other side. I think even better as a person and as an actor, um, he was up against it. And, um, you know, and he wrote this book and the book must've been really cathartic for him too. Um, I'm starting to write a book, but um, it's a lot of it is, is about my childhood because you have to tell the truth. You have to talk about stuff and uh, people will go, Hey, I thought this was supposed to be an animation. I thought it was supposed to be funny, like a cartoon. You know, is this book about you or your dad? You know, um, some of the best parts in Rob's book was was him talking about him trying to be the optimistic guy when he's sitting in there fighting for his life and getting chemo and radiation blown up on his throat. You know, him trying I, to be that 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 light in such a darkness for all these other people, and it's one of the most touching, and, and it's one of the most it hurt reading this. Like you're, you're looking at this guy and, and going, listen to what he was going through and he was trying to work because he did not want to disappoint people. Um, I know, I know, I know him. I've known him a long time. And I, I, I see that as like his guiding light. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's like what you guys have to really battle through and what you guys go and do. And especially what he did it's second to none. And it just goes to show you and how much of class he has. Not one time did he say other than me and him both saying fuck cancer. One time did he say anything disparaging about anything with cancer? It was, he was super upfront about it. He was super fantastic with it. And just like yourself, class acts, man. And I really appreciate you. Like I said, you could have done anything <laughs> other than talk to me today. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, well, you know, it's like there's almost nothing left to say after you have like this 25, 26 year old body of work is that you feel like you love everybody and you wanted to make them happy. And 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 the thing that they have to know is how important they are to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't think of any better way to end it. I know you said you're working on a book, but is there anything that you're working on now that you can talk about and kind of push people towards to see? Um there's there's stuff that i haven't signed on to yet and i can't talk about it but you know you can wait for part two right here <laughs> well i'd love to have you back on anytime you want uh, i always throw this invitation out there you guys are more than welcome anytime when you're in orlando come by just hit me up and you guys will have the greatest meal you will well it'll be some struggle for vegan stuff but i'm telling you it'll be the best vegan meal you'll ever have um Nice. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we get a part two and you have a great day, Billy. You too. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Take it easy. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.